Section 9 of The Pastor's Wife by Elizabeth von Arnim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 9. The doctor said he would send some tins of patent food out by Johann on his return journey. If there should be much delay and the baby was noisy, said the doctor, a little water. Water? My son fed on water? exclaimed Herr Dremmel. Heavens above us! What diet is this for a good German? Tins and water in the place of blood and iron? The doctor shrugged his shoulder, and gently putting down Ingeborg's hand, which he had been holding for a moment to see if he could quiet it, prepared to go away, saying he would also send out a nurse. Ah, said Herr Dremmel, greatly relieved, you know of a thoroughly healthy wet one? Completely dry. For Frau Pastor? Impossible to leave her unnursed. There will be bandages. There must be punctuality and care. He looked at Frau Dosch. Cleanliness, efficiency. At each word he looked at Frau Dosch. I will come out tomorrow. Perfectly normal, perfectly normal, he said, as he got into the carriage while Herr Dremmel stood ruefully on the doorstep. The illness went its perfectly normal course. A nurse came out from the principal Konigsberg hospital, and the disordered house at once became perfectly normal, too. Ilse returned to her kitchen. The baby was appeased by its scientific diet. Ingeborg's bed grew smooth and spotless. Her room was quiet. Nobody knocked any more against the foot of the bed in passing, or shook the floor and herself by heavy treading. She was no longer tended with the same vigor that made the kitchen floor spotless and the pig happy. Bandages, unguents, and disinfectants stood neatly in rows. Clean white cloths covered the tables. The windows were wide open day and night, and lamps left off burning exactly where they shone into her eyes. Everything was normal, including the behavior of the abscess, which went its calm way, unhurried and undisturbed by anything the doctor tried to do to it. Ripening, reaching its perfection, declining in an order and obedience to causation that was beautiful for those capable of appreciating it. Everything was normal except the inside of Ingeborg's mind. There, in a black recess, crouched fear. She suspected life she had lost on that awful night and day and night again of birth, confidence in it. She knew it now. It was all death. Death and cruelty, death and nameless horror, death pretending, death waiting, waiting to be cruel again, to get her again, and get her altogether next time. What was this talk of life? It was only just death. The others didn't know. She knew. She had seen it and been with it. She had been down into the valley of the shadow of it uncomforted. Her eyes had been wide open while she went. Each step of the way was cut into her memory. They had let her miss nothing. She knew. Out there in the garden the rustling leaves looked gay, and the sun looked cheerful, and the flowers she had so confidently loved looked beautiful and kind. They were death dressed up. Oh, she was not to be taken in any more. She knew the very sound of him. Often, while she was in that fever, she had heard him coming across the yard, up the steps, along the passage, pausing just outside the door, going back each time, but only for a little while. He would come again. The horror of it, the horror of living with that waiting, the horror of knowing that love ended in this, that new life was only more death. Fearfully she lay staring 
at the realities that she alone in that house could see and she could hear her heart beating if only she needn't have to hear her heart beating it beat in little irregular beats little flutters and then a pause and then a sudden ping oh the weak weak helplessness nothing to hold on to anywhere in all the world even the bed hadn't an underneath she was always dropping downwards downwards through it away sometimes the nurse came and stood beside her and with a big wholesome hand smoothed back the hair from her absorbed and frowning forehead what are you thinking about she would ask bending down and smiling but ingeborg never told to herr dremmel the nurse counselled patience he said he had been having it for ten months you must have some more said the nurse and it will come right and so it gradually did slowly ingeborg began to creep up the curve of life again it was a long and hesitating creeping but there did come a time when there was definite and widening gaps in her vision of the realities the first day she had meat for dinner she lost sight of them for several hours the next day she had meat she shut her mouth the day after a feeling of shame for her black thoughts crept into her mind and stayed there the day after that when she not only had meat but began a new tonic she asked for robertlet and put her arms round him all by herself then the nurse slipped out and called herr dremmel and he hurrying in and finding her propped on pillows holding his baby and smiling down at him just as he had pictured she would went down once more on his knees beside the bed and took the whole group mother baby and pillows into his arms and quite frankly and openly cried for joy little sheep little sheep he kept on saying and ingeborg having reached that point in convalescence where one never misses a chance of crying at once cried too and robertlet beginning to cry the nurse who laughed broke up the group after that things grew better every day ingeborg visibly improved every hour almost it was possible to see some new step made back to her original self she clung to the nurse who stayed on long after the carrying into the next room stage had been passed and who did not leave her till she was walking about quite gaily in the garden and beginning to do things with robertlet that she had planned she would she seemed after the long months of ugliness to be prettier than before she was so glad so grateful to be back again and her gladness lit her up it was so wonderful to be back in the bright world of free movement to be presently going to punt and presently be off for a day in the forests to be able to arrange to be in clear possession of her time and her body the deliciousness of health the happiness of being just normal made her radiant the september that year was one of ripe days and glowing calms neither herr dremmel nor ingeborg had ever been quite so happy he loved her as warmly as before their marriage he found himself noticing things like the fine texture of her skin and observing how pretty the back of her neck was and the way her hair behaved just at that point she was the brightest adornment and finish to a man's house he said to himself independently busy with her baby and her housekeeping not worrying him not having to be thought about in his laboratory when he wished to work absorbed in womanly interests cheerful affectionate careful of her child it was delightful to have her sit on his knee again delightful to hear her talk the sweet 
and sometimes even amusing nonsense with which her head seemed full delightful to see her sudden solemnity when there was anything to be done for the personal comfort of robertlet aren't we happy said ingeborg one evening when they were strolling after supper along the path through the rye-field all the old fearlessness and confidence in life surging in her again did you ever know anything like it it is you my little son among sheep said herr dremmel standing still to kiss her as energetically as though he had been beneath the pear-tree in the bishop's garden it is all hugh and presently she said i'm going to do such things robert such things first i'm going to be a proper pastor's wife at last and turn to in the village thoroughly and besides that i'm going to she stopped and flung out her hands with a familiar gesture well little hare oh i don't know but it's fun being alive isn't it i feel as if i'd only got to stretch out my hands to all those stars and catch as many of them as i want to and hardly had the nurse left and the household had returned to its normal arrangements and the parlour was no longer disfigured by herr dremmel's temporary bed and life was clear again and all one had to do was to go ahead praising the dear god who had made it so spacious and so kind then she began to have her second child part three chapter twenty one there was a little bay about five minutes paddle down the lake round a corner made by the jutting out of reeds you took your punt round the end of an arm of reeds and you found a small beach of fine shells an oak tree with half bared roots overhanging one side of it and a fringe of coarse grass along the top on this you sat and listened to the faint wash of the water at your feet and watched the sun flashing off the wings of innumerable gulls you couldn't see kokensee and kokensee couldn't see you and you clasped your hands round your knees and thought behind you were the rye-fields opposite you was the forest it was a place of gentleness of fair afternoon light of bland colours silvers and blues and the pale gold that reeds take on in october ingeborg did not bring robertlet to this place she decided after four months close association with him had cleared her mind of misconceptions that he was too young she would not admit with all her dreams about what she was going to do with him still vivid in her memory that she preferred to be alone she would not admit that she did anything but love him ardently he was so good he never cried nor did he ever do what she supposed must be the converse of crying crow he neither cried nor crowed he neither complained nor applauded he ate with appetite and he slept with punctuality he grew big and round while you looked at him who would not esteem him she did esteem him more highly perhaps than she had ever esteemed anybody but the ardent love she had been told a mother felt for her first-born was a thing about which she had to keep on saying to herself of course he was a grave baby and she did her best by cheery gesticulations and encouraging humorous sounds to accustom him to mirth but her efforts were fruitless then one day as she was bending over him trying to extract a smile by an elaborate tickling of his naked ribs she caught his eye and instantly she jerked back and stared down at him in dismay for she had had the sudden horrid conviction that what she was tickling was her mother-in-law that was the first time she noticed it but the resemblance was unmistakable was when you had once seen it 
overwhelming there was no trace now that she tremblingly examined him of either robert or herself and as for her own family what had become of all that very real beauty the beauty of the bishop the dazzlingness of judith and the sweet regularities of her mother robertlet was as much like frau dremmel as he might have been if frau dremmel had herself produced him in some miraculous manner entirely unassisted the resemblance was flagrant it grew with every bottle he had the same steady eyes he had the same prolonged silences his nose was a copy his head hairless was more like frau dremmel's thought ingeborg than frau dremmel's could ever have possibly been and if ever his hair grew she said to herself gazing at him wide-eyed it would undoubtedly do it from the beginning in a knob gradually as the days passed and the likeness appeared more and more she came when she tubbed him and powdered his many creases to have a sensation of infinite indiscretion and she announced to herr dremmel who did not understand that robertlet's first word would certainly be bratkartoffel why asked herr dremmel from the other side of a wall of thinking you'll see if it isn't nodded ingeborg with a perturbed face but robertlet's first word and for a long time his only one was nine his next which did not join it till some months later was adieu which is the german for good-bye and which he said whenever anybody arrived he isn't very hospitable thought ingeborg and remembered with a chill that not once since her marriage had her mother-in-law invited her to her house in Muck. but she made excuses for him immediately everybody she said to herself feels a little stiff at first to this beautiful corner of the lake for it was very beautiful those delicate autumn afternoons she went during robertlet's dinner sleep to do what she called think things out and she sat on the little shells with her hands round her knees staring across the quiet water at the line of pale reeds along the other shore doing it presently however she perceived that her thinking was more a great discomfort of the mind punctuated irregularly by flashes than anything that could honestly be called clear things would not be thought out at least they would not be thought out by her and she was feeling sick again and how she asked herself can people who are busy being sick be anything but sick besides things wouldn't bear thinking out her eyes grew bright with fear when one of those flashes lit up what was once more ahead of her it was like a scarlet spear of terror suddenly leaping at her heart no thought ingeborg turning quickly away all cold and trembling better not think better just sit in the sun and wonder what robertlet would look like later on if he persisted in being exactly like frau dremmel and yet in due season had to go into trousers and what would happen if the next one were like frau dremmel too and whether she would presently be teaching a row of little mothers-in-law its infant hymns the thought of frau dremmel became plural diminished into socks and pinafores standing neatly at her knee being taught to lisp in numbers seized her with laughter she laughed and laughed and only stopped when she discovered that what she was really doing was crying perhaps it's talking i want more than thinking she said to herr dremmel at last returning from one of these barren expeditions in search of understanding she said it a little timidly for she was already less to him than she had been in that brief interval of health 
and knew that with every month she would be less and less. It was odd how sure of him she was when she was not going to have a baby, of what an easy confidence in his love, and how he seemed to slip away from her when she was. Already, though she had only just begun, he was miles away from the loving mood in which he folded her in his arms and called her his little sheep. Herr Dremmel, who was supping and was not in possession of the context, recommended thinking. He added after a pause that only a woman would have suggested a distinction. Ingeborg did not make the obvious reply, but said she thought if she might talk to somebody, to Robert, for instance, and with her hands in his, rather tight in his, while she talked, so that she might feel safe, feel not quite so loose and unheld, together in an enormous, awful world. Herr Dremmel looked at his watch, and said perhaps he would have time to hold her hand next week. A few days later, she said, equally without supplying him with a context, it's blessing disguising itself. That's what it is. Herr Dremmel, who again was supping, said nothing, preferring to wait, blessing only pretending to be cruelty, not really cruelty at all. Herr Dremmel still preferred to wait. I thought at first it was cruelty, she said, but now I think perhaps, perhaps it's a blessing. What do you think was cruelty, Ingeborg? asked Herr Dremmel, who disliked the repetition of such a word. Having this next baby so quickly, without time to forget. Her eyes grew bright. Cruelty, Ingeborg? Herr Dremmel said one did not, when one was a pastor's wife, call Providence names. That's what I'm saying, she said. I thought at first it was cruel, but now I see it's really ever so much better not to waste time between one's children, and then be well for the rest of one's days. It, it will make the contrast afterwards, when one has done with pain so splendid. She looked at him, and pressed her hands together. Vivid recollections lit her eyes. But I'd give up these splendid contrasts very willingly, she whispered, her face gone suddenly terror-stricken. Herr Dremmel said that family life had always been praised not only for its beauty, but for its necessity, as the foundation of the state. You told me, said Ingeborg, who had a trick which good men sometimes found irritating, of remembering everything they had ever said. The foundation of the state was manure. Herr Dremmel said so it was. And so was family life. He would not, he informed her, quibble over terms. What he wished to make clear was that there could not be family life without a family to have it in. And don't you call you and me and Robertlet a family? she asked. One child, said Herr Dremmel. You would limit the family to one child? That is a highly unchristian line of conduct. But the Christian lines of conduct seem to hurt so murmured Ingeborg. Oh, I know there have to be brothers and sisters, she added quickly before he could speak, and it is best to get it over and have done with it. It's only when I'm... It's only sometimes that I think Robertlet would have been enough family till... till I'd had time to forget. Again the light of terror came into her eyes. She knew it was there. She looked down at her plate to hide it. Twice after that she came back from her thinking down by the lake and attempted to talk to him about questions of life and death. Herr Dremmel was bored by questions of life and death, unless they were his own ones. He met them, however, patiently. 
she arrived panting for it was uphill back to the house desperately needing her vision rubbed a little clearer against his so that she might reach out to reassurance and courage and he took on an air of patience almost before she had begun in the presence of that premature resignation she faltered off into silence also what she had wanted to say got tangled into the silliest sentences she heard them being silly as they came out no wonder he looked resigned she could have wept with chagrin at her inarticulateness her want of real education her incapacity for getting her thoughts torn away from their confusion and safely landed into speech and there stood robert waiting with an air of patience but how odd it was the difference between his talk before she was going to have a baby and his silence surely resigned silence when she was she wished she knew more about husbands she wished that during the years at home instead of writing all those diocesan letters she had ripely reflected on the conjugalities as the days went by her need of somebody to talk to her dread of being alone with her imagination and its flashes became altogether intolerable she went at last driven by panic to the village mothers asking anxious questions about how they had felt how they had managed going round on days when she was better to the cottages where families were longest but nothing came of this the attitude everywhere was a dull acceptance a shrug of the shoulder a tiredness then she sought out the postman's wife who looked particularly motherly and bright and found that she was childless then she met the forester one day in the woods and was so far gone in need that she almost began to ask him her anxious questions for he looked more motherly even than the postman's wife then she thought of baroness glambach who before robertlet's birth had been helpful in practical ways would she not be helpful now in these spiritual stresses and she walked over there with difficulty one afternoon in november through the deep wet sand approaching her as one naked soul delivered by its urgencies from the web of reticence and convention approaches another but nothing could be less naked that day than the baroness's soul it was dressed even to gloves and a bonnet it had no urgencies and hildebrand von glambach was there the only son in the family of six the member of it who had married most money and his mother was proudly pouring out coffee for him in festal silk it was entirely contrary to custom for one's pastor's wife to walk in without having first inquired whether her visit would be acceptable and when the baroness perceived the sandy and disordered figure coming towards her down the long room she was not only annoyed but dismayed she had not seen this dearest of her children for six months and it was the first opportunity she had had since his arrival the evening before of being alone with him for he had brought a friend with him from berlin and not till after luncheon had the friend who painted been satisfactorily disposed of out of doors in the park where he announced his intention of staying as long as the sun stayed on a certain beech tree she wanted to ask her boy questions she had sent the baron out riding round his farms so as to be able to ask questions she wanted to know about his life in berlin to her so remote and so full of drawbacks that yet glittered a high dangerous less truly aristocratic life 
than this of lofty stagnation in god's provinces but shone upon after all by the presence of her emperor and king in her heart she believed that the almighty had also some years ago probably about the time of her marriage when she too retired into them withdrawn into the provinces and there particularly presided over these best of the fatherland's nobles who stayed with a pure persistency in the places where they happened to have been born on his departure for the country the baroness decided he had handed over berlin and potsdam to the care of the first of his children her emperor and king and so it was that the provinces were higher and more truly aristocratic than berlin and potsdam and so it was that berlin and potsdam nevertheless ran them very close and now just as she had so cleverly contrived this hour with hildebrand forgetting at all those intimate details of his life that a mother loves but does not care to talk about before her husband this hour for hearing about his children his meals his money his dear wife's success in society and appearances thanks to her having married into the nobility at court his own health his indigestion that ancient tormentor of his peace Amer Jung, and whether he had seen or heard anything of poor Emmy, his eldest sister, who had miserably married six thousand marks a year, and lived impossibly at Spandau, and could not be got to admit she did not like it, just as she was going to be satisfied on all these points, came that eccentric and pushing Frau Pastor and spoilt it all also hildebrand was in the very middle of one of those sad stories of scandal that one wishes one had not to listen to but naturally wants to hear the end of so great was the baroness's disappointment that she found it impossible to stop herself from affecting inability to recognize the frau pastor till she was actually touching the coffee-table. "'Ah!' she then said, not getting up, but slowly putting out her hand to take the hand that was being offered, and staring as though she were trying to remember where and when she had seen her before. "'Ah, Frau Pastor, this is indeed an honor. "'Present me, mamma," said Hildebrand, who had got on to his feet the instant Ingeborg appeared in the doorway. The ceremony performed, he sank again into his chair, and did nothing more at all, being waited on by his mother, and leaving it to her to see that the visitor was given cream and sugar and cake, until the moment arrived when Ingeborg, made abundantly and elaborately aware that she was interrupting, prepared crestfallen to go away again. Then once more he started up, alert, and with his heels together. "'Well, and what did her husband do?' asked the baroness, turning again to Hildebrand, as soon as Ingeborg had been got quiet on a chair with coffee, determined to hear the end of the story." "'My dear mother,' said Hildebrand, shrugging his shoulders up to his ears, "'what could he do?' "'He shot her?' "'Of course.' "'Naturally,' said the baroness, nodding approval. "'Was she killed?' "'No, badly wounded, but it was enough. His honour was avenged.' "'And she will not,' said the baroness grimly, "'begin these tricks again?' Ingeborg roused herself with an effort to say something she was extraordinarily disappointed and unnerved by not finding the baroness alone why did he shoot her she asked it seemed to her in her tiredness so very energetic of him to have shot her the baroness turned a cold eye on her because frau pastor she said 
she was his sinning wife oh said ingeborg and added an inquiry in a nervous desire to make for a brief space agreeable small talk before going away again whether in germany they always shot each other when they sinned not each other said the baroness severely at least not if it is a husband and his wife he alone shoots oh said ingeborg considering this she was sitting inertly on her chair holding her cup of coffee slanting too much dejected to drink it and then does that make her love him again she asked in her small tired voice the baroness did not answer only blood said hildebrand can wipe out a husband's dishonor how nasty said ingeborg dejectedly life seemed all blood she drooped over her cup thinking of the cruelty with which things were apparently packed the baroness and hildebrand after a pregnant silence turned from her and began to talk of somebody they called poor emmy ingeborg sat alone with her cup wondering how she could get away before she began to cry dreadful how easily she cried now she must buy some more handkerchiefs they seemed lately to be always at the wash she roused herself again she really must say something as her way was when confused and unnerved she caught at the first thing she found tumbling about in her mind why was emmy poor she asked in her small tired voice there was another pregnant silence to shorten it ingeborg asked whether emmy was the wife who had been shot the sinning one she explained as nobody answered the silence became awful she looked up startled by it from the expression on their faces and the general feel of things she thought that perhaps they wouldn't mind if she went home now she got up dropping the spoon out of her saucer i think i must be going she said it's a long way home it seems hardly worth while to have come said the baroness with extraordinary chill to which ingeborg absorbed in the failure of her effort to find help and comfort answered droopingly no outside the sun had just dropped behind the forest line and she would have to walk fast if she wanted to be home before dark the mist was already rising over the meadows beyond the trees of the garden and beginning to mix with the rose and lilac of the sky the sandy avenue she had come along on that hot july day when first she discovered glambeck lay at her feet in the still beauty of the last of its dresses for the year very delicate very transparent already the leaves of the beeches almost all on the ground making of the road a ribbon of light a november smell of dampness and of peat smoke from cottage chimneys filled the air there was a brooding peace over the world as though in every house in every family brotherly love must needs in such gentleness continue she went carefully down the steps for her body was already growing cumbersome and along the golden way of the avenue she tried not to cry not to smudge the beautiful evening with her own disappointments how foolish she had been to suppose that because she wanted to talk baroness glambeck would want to listen moods did not coincide so conveniently she walked along diligently stopping any stray tear with her handkerchief before it could disgrace her by coming out on to her cheeks presently baroness glambeck might passionately want to listen it was quite conceivable and she herself would not in the least want to talk how foolish it all was one had to stand on one's own feet 
it was no good going about calling out for help it was less than no good crying some day if she continued intrepidly in this career of maternity which seemed to be marked out for her she too would be happily pouring out coffee for a grown-up and successful man-child all her impatiences and pangs long since forgotten you clearly couldn't have a grown-up man-child to love and be proud of if you hadn't begun him in time he had at some period or other to be begun and he had to be begun in time else one might easily be too old for acute appreciation she went as quickly as she could down the avenue thinking on large valiant lines and underneath her thinking feeling altogether forsaken it must be nice a warm thing to live where one's friends and relatives were within reach where one could for instance when one felt extra lonely go and have tea with one's mother a man carrying what seemed to be a great deal of something indefinite was coming down the avenue towards her she looked at him vaguely absorbed in her thoughts it was not the baron and except for him she knew nobody she was within a yard or two of him when a quantity of sheets of paper long slender brushes odd articles she did not recognize suddenly seemed to burst out from his person and scatter themselves over the beech leaves on the ground oh damn said the man making efforts to catch them ingeborg always eager to help began clumsily to pick up those nearest her he had a camp-stool on one arm and what appeared to be a mackintosh and was altogether greatly hampered look here don't do that he exclaimed struggling with these things which also apparently were slipping from him oh but how lovely said ingeborg holding one of the sheets of paper she had picked up at arm's length and staring with her red eyes at a beech-tree on it a celestial beech-tree surely a flame with so great a glory of light that it could not possibly be earthly but only the sort of tree they have in heaven close it was just splashes of colour you had to hold it away from you to see it at all she blew away some grains of sand that were on it and then held it once more as far from her as her arm would go oh but how lovely she said again look doesn't it shine of course it shines that was what it was doing he said coming and looking at the sketch over her shoulder a minute his hands full of the things he had collected from the ground they said they'd send a servant for all this and they didn't i hate carrying things i'll carry some said ingeborg nonsense and you're not going there i've been but i'd go back as far as the steps if you like nonsense i'll leave them at the foot of this tree he'll see them all right not this you mustn't leave this she said still gazing at the sketch no i'll take that and i'm coming with you a little way because i can't conceive where you can be going at this time of the day that isn't to the glambacks and i'm curious also because it's so funny of you to be english i think it's much funnier of you said ingeborg picking up a pencil out of a rut in the sand and adding it to the pile he was making against the trunk of the nearest tree and i'm only going home home he undid the pile and began again he had got it wrong the camp-stool of course must be the foundation then the smaller fly-away things then neatly folded and tucking them all in the mackintosh she must be an english governess or superior nurse on a neighboring estate since she talked of home 
If so, he did not want to go with her. Nothing he could think of seemed to him quite so tiresome as an English governess or superior nurse. He finished tucking in the Mackintosh and turned round and took the sketch from her. He was, she perceived, a long, thin-necked man with a short red beard. She was, he perceived, something in a badly fitting tweed coat and skirt, a person with a used sort of nose and weak eyes. Now then, he said, I'll go with you anyhow to the end of the avenue. Where is home? Kokensee, said Ingeborg, trotting to keep up with him. It's the next village. I'm the pastor's wife. Ingram, for it was that celebrated artist, then at thirty-five, already known all over Europe, as more especially, and letting alone his small, exquisite things, a surprising, indeed a disturbingly surprising, painter of portraits, glanced down at her, and stepped out more vigorously. "'That's an amusing thing to be,' he said, and quite new. "'It isn't very new. I've been it eighteen months. Why do you think it's amusing?' "'It's different from anything else.' Nobody was ever a pastor's wife in, what did you call it, before? Kokensee, Kokensee, Kokensee. I like that. You're unique to live in Kokensee. Nobody else has achieved that. It wasn't very difficult. I just stayed passive and was brought. And they didn't mind? Who didn't? Your people, your father and mother. Or are you Melchizedek and never had any? Why should they mind? Coming so far, it's rather the end of the world. You're right up against the edge of Russia. I wanted to, of course. I didn't suppose you were dragged across Europe by your hair to Kokensee. I'll come all the way with you. I want to see Kokensee. Don't walk so fast, then, said Ingeborg, panting. I can't walk like that. He looked at her as he went slower. "'Is that the effect of Kokensee?' he said. "'Why can't you walk like that? You're only a girl.' "'I'm not a girl at all. I am a wife. I'm a mother. I'm everything really now except a mother-in-law and a grandmother. That's all there's still left to be. I think they're rather dull things, both of them.' "'You won't think so when you've got there.' That's the dreadfulest part of it. It's a kindly trick time plays on us. Are you a real pastor's wife who goes about her parish being an example? I haven't yet, but I'm going to. What? Not begun in eighteen months? But what do you do then all day long? First I cook, and then I don't cook. They were out in the open on the bit of road that passed between meadows. Ingram stopped and looked at something over to the left with sudden absorbed attention. She followed his eyes, but did not see much. A wisp of mist along the grass, the top twigs of a willow emerging from it, and above it the faint sky. She said nothing and presently went on walking faster than ever. "'Please go a little slower,' begged Ingeborg, her heart thumping with effort. "'I think you know,' said Ingram, suiting himself to her, "'you should be able to walk better than that.' "'Yes,' said Ingeborg. "'I suppose that's the danger of places like Kokensee. One lets one's self get slack.' "'Yes,' said Ingeborg. "'You mustn't, you know.' Imagine losing one's lines. Just think of the horrible indefinite lines of a fat woman. Yes, said Ingeborg. Do you paint much? she asked, unable to endure this turn of conversation. He looked at her and laughed. A good deal, he said. Then he added, I'm Ingram. Is that your name? Mine's Dremel. Edward Ingram, he said, looking at her. It was inconceivable. She should not know. Ingeborg Dremel, she said, as though it were a game. He was silent a moment. 
then he stopped with a jerk i don't think i'll come any farther he said the glambecks will be wondering what has become of me glambeck brought me down for a couple of nights and i can't be not there all the time but you wanted to see kokensee doesn't anybody ever read in kokensee read papers books reviews criticisms what the world's doing in all the million places that aren't kokensee who everybody is what's being thought and created he had an oddly nettled look robert takes in the norddeutsche e allgemeine zeitung and i've been reading kipling kipling well good-bye but isn't kipling why till i married i had only the litany what on earth for that and psalms and things i felt very empty on the litany i can imagine it i'd lose no more time then in furnishing my emptiness good-bye oh don't go wait a moment it's such ages since i've furnishing it how what ought i read 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 everything you can lay your hands on but there isn't anything to lay hands on my dear lady haven't you postcards write to london and order the reviews to be sent out to you get some notion of people and ideas good-bye oh but won't you really come and look at kokensee it's a dark place i'm afraid what i'd see there would be nothing there'll be more light to-morrow i'm going south again to-morrow with glambeck i only came for a day i was curious about provincial german interiors good-bye oh but do my advice is very sound you know one can't shut one's eyes and just sleep while the procession of men and women who are making the world goes past one unless his eyes glanced over the want of trimness of her figure the untidy way her loose coat was fastened unless one doesn't mind running to seed but i do mind cried ingeborg it's the last thing i want to run to then don't good-bye he took off his hat and was already several steps away from her by the time it was on his head again then he turned round and called out to the dejected little figure standing where he had left it in the sandy road with a grey curtain of mist blurring it it really is everybody's duty to know at least something of what's being done in the world and he jerked away into the dusk towards glambeck she stood a long while looking at the place where the gloom had blotted him out wonderful to have met somebody who really talked to one who actually told one what to do she went home making impulsive resolutions suddenly brave again her chin in the air ill or not ill she was not going to be beaten she was not going to wait another day before beginning to fill her stupid mind it was monstrous she should be so ignorant so uneducated what was she made of then what poor cheap stuff that she could think of nothing better than to cry because she did not feel as well as she used to weren't there heaps of things to do even when one was ill had she not herself heard of sick people whose minds triumphed so entirely over their prostrate flesh that from really quite perpetual beds they shed brightness on whole parishes she wrote that night to moody demanding catalogues of him almost with fierceness and ordered as a beginning the spectator and hibbert journal both of which at redchester had been mentioned in her presence by prebendaries when they arrived she read them laboriously from cover to cover and then ordered all the monthly reviews they advertised she subscribed at once to the times and to a weekly paper called the clarion 
because it was alluded to in one of the reviews. She showered postcards on Moody. For whatever books she read about she immediately bought, deciding that that was as good a way of starting as any other. And she had not been reading papers a week before she came across Edward Ingram's name. A great light dawned on her. Oh, she said, with a little catch of the breath, turning hot, and became aware that she had just been having the most recognizably interesting encounter of her life. Chapter 22 In seven years Ingeborg had six children. She completely realized during that period the psalmist's ideal of a reward for a good man, and was altogether the fruitful vine about the walls of his house. She was uninterruptedly fruitful. She rambled richly. She saw herself at first with an astonished chagrin, and afterwards with resignation, swarming up to the eaves of her little home, pauseless, gapless, luxuriantly threatening, choke the very chimneys. At the beginning she deplored this uninterrupted abundance, for she could not but see that beneath it the family roof grew a little rotten, and sometimes, though she made feeble efforts to keep it out, a rather dismal rain of discomfort soaked in and dimmed the brightness of things. Good servants would not come to such a teeming household. The children that were there suffered because of the children that were soon going to be there. It was a pity, she thought, that when one produced a new child, one could not simultaneously produce a new mother for it, so that it should be as well looked after as one's first child had been. She could mend their stockings, because that could be done lying on a sofa, but she was never sure about anything else that concerned them, and there were so many things, such endless vital things to be seen to, if babies were to flourish. And when the first ones grew bigger, and she might have begun those intimate expeditions and communions with them she used to plan, she found that, too, was impossible, for she was so deeply engaged in providing them with more brothers and sisters that she was unable to move. The days between her first and second child were the best. She was still strong enough to tub Robertlet every night, and prepare his food, and keep a watchful eye on him most of the time. Also he was only one, and easy to deal with, and he was so exact and punctual in his ways that he seemed like a clock who wound up at regular intervals, and knew would then go on by itself and his clothes, naturally, were all new, and needed little mending, and still she had Ilsa, who did not married till a year later, and she had persuaded herself, for one must needs persuade oneself of something, that after this next baby there would be a pause. This persuasion, and a few admonishments Edward Ingram had thrown at her that afternoon helped her extraordinarily. So easily could she be stirred to courage and enthusiasm that she was able to forget most of her fears and discomforts in the new business of training her mind to triumph over her body, and she got through a surprising quantity of mixed reading that winter and spring and when at last in the following May her hour had come, she marched off almost recklessly, with her two plates already hanging down her back, and her head held high, and her eyes wide and shining, to the fatal bedroom where death, she supposed, but refused to care, 
sat waiting to see if he could not get her this time so filled was she with the spirit she had been cultivating for six months of proud determination not to be beaten she was however beaten end of section nine